Welcome to Blackstone Irregulars. I'm Holly Blackstone, and this is podcast number five. We all have stories in us, part four. So thanks for coming in, coming by again, and um, let's just get started. So a few little things. I have a filter for my mic, which hopefully will help with some pops and noises. And so let me know if you think that it improves my voice or the quality of the cast. And uh, just a little funny background story. I record these podcasts at night. Mr. Man's gone to bed. He's more of an early riser. He works during the day in the same room that I write in and I do my podcasts. And and I have two cats that need pills. (laughs) One of them is my cancer kitty Remus and the other one is Jonathan who has a thyroid problem. And so uh, one of the distractions I have, and I've kind of made an, um, little references to this, is I need to um, make sure that they don't bother me. <laughs> so if I don't give them their pills and their treats, the other cats also have to have treats, of course, at the same time. It can get really distracting. So uh, they jump on my desk, <laughs> they walk by, they want to let me know that, hey, mom, I want something. So uh, it's just kind of a funny thing to take into consideration (laughs) before I do these podcasts. I have a water fountain in there in here for them, too. And so I I almost forgot to unplug it. And I'm like, oh, this is nice, soothing sound. Wait a minute. That's going to show up on my podcast, my cat water fountain. So anyway, um, just a little background on my life. So today I want to talk about a few few more topics about writing. This is uh, We All Have Stories, Podcast 5. We All Have Stories in this part four. So there's there's almost an infinite amount of stuff you can really dive into about how to write a book, what to think about. So today I wanted to get into a discussion about um, secondary characters, dialogue, and beginning your novel. For me, secondary characters, I feel are important. Uh, Even though you're telling this character, the story of the first, your primary character, your protagonist, your main character, your, your heroine, uh, or, or, you know, their, their life, their journey, their love, other discovery, whatever, you still want the story to feel fleshed out. You still want to make them feel like a complete person with relationships and habits and preferences. And I talked about that a little bit in my previous podcast. But for secondary characters, you don't have to go in as deeply, but I really do feel it's important to still get a lot of that thought out, rounded out, Um, mapped out in your mind so that when you write the characters they feel more present and real and it's easier for you to conjure up conversations that they might have uh, or scenarios that they might get find themselves in so don't just have them as a token or just a placeholder or something that you feel like you have to have there some of them can be deeper friends than others some of them uh, cannot have uh, as much depth to them they're just passing some of them will play a role in your story they won't be your main character or maybe uh, your you know your secondary primary character but they will play an important role they'll make a decision or they'll push the main character to a certain point and so you really need to think about them as well but again you don't need to have them massively fleshed out a bit of background, maybe how they met the main character. That can always be an interesting uh, thing that you discover or you, you explore later on. 
So just have that in the back of your mind. Who do you want your main character to be surrounded by? Who are some of the important people who are going to play an impact in our life? And this is for good or be- or evil. <laughs> I mean, I use those terms sort of loosely. But so to give a few examples in Lilan, a Bachelor series, uh, she has a problem with her mom. And so I wanted to think about that. And, and actually, in the first book, you get a little bit of a background. Juliana, uh, not Juliana, Liliana talks about that. Uh, to Stuart and uh, mentions her father had died and you you learn that her mother left her and her brother um, to be raised by other people and that made a huge impact um, on Liliana's life and so uh, having that was something that I could bring up in subsequent conversations or stories or something that the reader knew that they had in the back of their mind and maybe made more sense when Liliana had these problems with uh, con- or with her confidence or whatever because you're thinking, wow, she felt she felt abandoned. So it, it made more sense in the context of the story and the context of what Liliana was doing. And with the Void Chronicles with Juliana, uh, there are some characters that uh, – because of their interaction with her, because of their importance to her, because of what she's been through with them, it affects the way that she deals with situations and it creates these different emotions in her and brings these decision points uh, more into stark contrast with her. And I think that that helps give a lot more uh, realism and really pulls you into the story. We all have these decisions. I mean, we've lost friends, we've pissed friends off. We've asked for forgiveness from them, um, you know, or they've asked for forgiveness from us. And so remembering what that dynamic is in real life and then trying to translate some of that into your book, I think, is will go a long way into bringing the reader into your story and making them feel like they're part of it because they'll find something to relate to in there. So I was talking to Mr. Mann and I was going over uh uh, what I what I've been talking about he's listened to several of the podcasts I think the first three and we've had this debate about dialogue and so I think dialogue should be very close to speaking maybe not some not so many pauses not so many ums but some of that you should interrupt yourself <laughs> I do this on this podcast if you listen to me <laughs> I do this and I think that brings a certain level of authenticity to your dialogue. If you keep that in mind, that people interrupt each other, people contradict themselves, people search for words, uh, people reiterate a point, or people later on revisit something they said and kind of change their mind in light of new circumstances. And once more, I think that 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 is a more realistic way to present a character. Um, I like old science fiction anthologies. My mom had a lot of them when I was a kid, and I read through them. But Sometimes when I look at them now, I feel that the dialogue is stilted or it feels more like Hollywood dun-dun-dun dialogue, you know, something meant for effect as opposed to genuine dialogue that two people who ostensibly know each other and have some level of intimacy would have with one another. I mean, if you think about the people who are closest to you, whether or not it's your husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, doesn't matter, uh, parents, uh Based on your relationship to them, you have a different level of intimacy. So you're probably not going to talk about your sex life with your mom, although you you might. You might hint at it or you, maybe you have a little bit more open relationship than a lot of other people do. Um, but your girlfriends, you might talk about 
your boyfriend. You might talk about a bad date you had. You might talk about some chick flick that you watched or something that you did, but then that's a hobby that you, you both share. But then with another group of people, you're not going to have that same level of conversation or you're going to be perhaps more circumspect because they're not as close to you. And so remembering that, remembering that we treat people differently based on their relative closeness to us is something to also keep in mind when you're writing dialogue. Uh, But try to be natural about it. Try to think about the cadence of how people speak and how that... So one of the things that I do when I'm trying to create some sense of urgency in, in my books is I try to shoot for slightly shorter sentences, either as a descriptor that I put in as an author or as or, or something that a character speaks because again that is a natural tendency of us to adjust our cadence if we have a lot of time we feel comfortable about a subject we can pontificate uh, perhaps uh, for a long time on it uh, this also ties into thinking of key key phrases and uh, words that characters use and 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 bind this all together you know, you might you might think of a circumstance you're putting your character into and think about how would they describe it? What words would they use? Or are they someone who's kind of shy and would be very reserved? Are they uh, people who are more bombastic and would tend to be loquacious? And and use those different perceptions about cadence. Somebody who's nervous would interrupt themselves, stutter, stumble over words. We're so used to communicating with each other, I don't think that we notice too much how our own speech patterns are affected by our temperament and the situation that we're in. But that's always a good thing to keep in mind for context when you're writing dialogue. So an example of this is that uh, I decided that Tristan in my Void Chronicles wasn't going to swear much so that when he he did swear, because he's a leader of men and he has this authority and he is related to the king and the current ruling family of Galea. So he is going to have a, a, a good education. He is going to be commanding and he will probably only swear um, when it's necessary. And so he tends to not swear much. Whereas Juliana, who uh, grew up in our world um, and is also thrust into this odd set of circumstances, she is going to be a bit probably <laughs> more like a sailor. So some minor differences there as an example, but things to, to keep in mind. So how to begin your story? This is probably a question every author at some point has ruminated on. So how do you want to begin? So I think, first of all, you have to think of the environment that the characters are exist in, the world that they exist in. You should feel like you are already slipping you, the reader, into someone's complete or intact life. It shouldn't feel contrived for the story or some. I, I don't. I don't like these super dramatic beginnings that seem uh, very much like a stage production. I want to feel, and again, this is personal preference. I want to feel like I'm just this silent interloper kind of almost like a fly on the wall and I'm bringing you in there and so you sort of get to see the full panorama of the life that my main characters uh, are inhabiting. So you should consider then what scenes and settings are important for the main character. What is their natural habitat? Where are you going to find them? Is it a home or is it an office? Is it elsewhere? So for uh, Abigail in my And Laugh at Digital Butterflies Synchronon Cycle book, 
uh, you first encounter her in her office and you find out subsequently that she spends an awful lot of time there. So it's a natural place where you'd be introduced to her. Um, she's actually working <laughs> like she does many, many nights. And so that's a reasonable environment uh, for her. I like easing into a story a little bit. Uh, the Lily Anna Bachelor series is maybe the exception to that, but still it it starts off where you get to know the character and you get a feel for them first before you throw something really heavy at the reader. Liliana ruminates a little bit about her college, what she's going to do, her job, um, her loneliness, things like that. So the sage is set uh, for the events that happen next. With Abigail, she's working. It seems like it's late. You, she, she, talks about this she's getting ready to debrief a client and you get the feeling that she's a she's a workaholic and uh her conversation her inner monologue her discussion with her boss you sort of have set that environment up so right away you know something about these these people and you're going to see maybe what it is that's going to play an important role in their life in the in the story rather so one thing i want to caution against though is and I have been almost guilty of this multiple times. Don't get caught up in a scene as you're writing your book. Don't imagine something and push your entire story to that moment because you think it's cool. Don't sacrifice your story for a moment that you have built up that you think is going to be really impactful and that you absolutely have to have. Don't shoehorn it in there. And I'll give you a, a few examples of this. So the first one, I mean, both of them are Star Wars of the recent Star Wars movie. I am a huge old Star Wars fan, not the new stuff, but the old stuff. And that is perhaps a completely different set of podcasts about the problems that I have with the seven, eight and nine movies. But let's just say Star Wars Force Awakens. J.J. Um, Abrams is known for his bang, bang, eye candy on screen um, wants you to see these images and stuff. And I remember coming, going into that movie, I'm so excited, never thinking I was going to see Star Wars number seven. And in the moment I got caught up and I'm like, the visuals are stunning. There's all this stuff and it's going on and it's just rapid fire, bam, 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 bam. And then as I was leaving, I just had this sort of, huh, I was taken out of that environment and I started thinking about things more critically. I was like, well, well, that seems like a silly thing that happened. I mean, I started thinking more about, well, you can't contain the energy of a star in a planet. That is just freaking ridiculous. And how did they construct that without anyone in, anyone in the rebellion noticing? Because ostensibly the empire is kaput. Palpatine died. Vader was redeemed and died. Where did they get a Snoke? Who's Snoke? How did they get, and he, he's this mysterious person far away. How did they get all these parts, all this wherewithal to create this thing that is basically physically in the laws of physics, impossible, transmitted across the universe, boom. They just seemed, as you started to get away from the movie, I felt I started to deconstruct it more. And that wasn't true for the original trilogy. The, uh, the, uh, the Death Star was not entirely operational when you first see it. And they are supposed to be the rulers. They're supposed to be powerful. They're supposed to have control. So they have access to all these resources and everything. But here it just didn't make sense. It just felt like a bunch of eye candy. It, meant, it felt like a bunch of, of 
of effects like he had built this up and I remember thinking something very similar when I saw one of the Star Wars movies it was like why is there a motorcycle why does this have to be this just seems really contrived and it, initially you read it you, you read it or you see it and you think whoa that's really out there but it's out there to be out there it's out there to grab your attention but it's not real meat it's not it's something that you walk away from and I felt and several other people I spoke with kind of were scratching their heads like mm, just didn't didn't fit in the moment that you were in there it seemed really amazing to see all the special effects and all this stuff and you get caught up in the nostalgia and everything and then you walk away and you just just didn't sit and I've never watched the movie again I've never had a desire to because I part part partly I think is because in the back of my mind I sort of know the tricks now I know that what he was aiming for was something to grab your attention and just pull you and drag you along and so you don't have a moment to think but then you're left unsatisfied at the end of it because there's all these questions and there's how do I get there and this doesn't really quite fit into what I knew and why are you deconstructing my my universe so then the second example also from star wars was the last jedi i never saw the third movie uh, was when holda jumps her ship i'm sorry spoilers <laughs> when holda jumps the ship uh through other ships now there's been discussion seriously about how close and i mean how close could you could you jump to a massive body with is physics right how how can you do this and what are the restrictions on it and this is something that hasn't been done in seven movies never brought up now there's star wars has never meant to be conforming entirely to to our known laws of the universe right i mean ion drives potentially long-term acceleration great short-term acceleration no but yet tie fighters have ion drives if i'm not mistaken so it's not meant to be an absolute but when you're going to break canon when you're going to break precedent something that has existed for seven and three quarter movies you have to think about whether or not you want to make that decision and whether you're doing it lightly right and it felt like it was this build-up. The whole movie was this build-up, and there were all these distractions. And they go to this planet, and they end up hurting people and everything to go on this wild goose chase, and just all these things going on, 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 keep you busy. And then I remember sitting in the movie theater, and there was absolutely no sound coming out of the movie when that happened. There was just you don't realize how much uh, goes into special effect sounds and music and subtle subtlety until there's just absolute silence in the movie and there was that absolute silence and it was meant for impact and it felt to me when I saw that I said this was the whole point of the movie for him that's what it felt like to me and and immediately I got turned off because I felt like I was put on a ride like I was I was taken somewhere there was a bit of false advertising I was yanked along and then something was put in front of me now I've never read Agatha Christie novels to be honest my mom told me once that I, I I mentioned that she had this love for Nero Wolf and I love Nero Wolf now but she I, I I asked her what other good murder mysteries Agatha Christie wants and she said no I I don't want to read Agatha Christie because she leaves she leads you on this path she doesn't give you all the information and then at the very end there it is 
and I've never read them. I've been turned off by her pronouncements, although I've liked watching the series, but I've never read those books because I thought, you know, that would be a frustrating experience for me if I was going along, going along, going along. And then there was this key piece that was dropped that I had that had that had never been intimated. And then that was the solution. That was the key. And it would have felt like I was cheated. And so anyway, that's my long pontification about whether you should lead, how you should lead your readers along. I feel like you should give them some clues, uh, obfuscate things where the main characters obfuscated a little bit, even though I, I tell stories in third person. Uh, I do obfuscate things a little bit, but I try to drop breadcrumbs because I think that's interesting. It gives a lot of depth to the story because uh, you have something to latch on to and consider. You're like, wow, hmm, does that mean anything? That seems like it could be important. This interaction, it doesn't, I don't know, there's something about it. So I, I, I if if you like the whodunit at the end, maybe maybe my advice in this regard is not for you, but I personally... I don't have to know everything. I don't have to, I don't need to have to be able to figure out every, every bit of minutia, but I don't want to feel like there's a ta-da moment, like it's a magic trick. And then suddenly a rabbit is pulled out of a hat. That's not why I read books. It's a journey for me. And I want to feel like I have been part of that journey and not that I've been purposely excluded from it for an aha moment. So anyway, that's my, my long take on that. So I feel oops you're hearing Remus hold on a second so Remy beams my cancer kitty who I adore and he's just the loveliest boy he likes bringing if you have a cat you know what I'm talking about there's these sticks and then they've got like this long furry piece on them like two feet long with feathers Remus loves dragging them around the house so he will keep them in the room that's the office and then while we're eating supper he will drag them in there and he'll be meowing the whole time. Meow, 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 meow. And he drops them and he wants a treat or he wants pets or he, he wants his butter or something like that. And so, dear listeners, he just did that. I don't know if you can hear him in the background, but he's become, he's, he's become even more of a affection whore than he was before. He wants to be held all the time. Mr. Man will sit there coding with Remus on his chest and Remus just puts his head on Mr. Man's shoulder and he does this to me sometimes and he'll nestle in and you get hot, wet cat breath on your neck and it is darling, but you just heard him bringing a toy to me as a gift, which I love. Anyway, so I, back to my podcast, so I feel like I should make a comment about 365 DNI, which is a movie that has come out fairly recently. It's on Netflix. The thing about 365 DNI is, so I've watched part of it. I haven't watched the whole thing. I've watched maybe half of it, two thirds of it. I'm not sure. I have a hard time getting into it. It doesn't feel like a story to me but some vignettes that are meant to have an effect on you like you get to see how beautiful Laura is you get to see supposedly how even though um, Massimo is a mafia member he's ethical hold on one second Remy Beams has something to say to me hold on okay 
So Remy Beams is now in my arms as I'm talking to you. I wish you could see him because he has cute little white tipped toes that are just as cute as cute can be. And he's trying now to crawl on my shoulder to put his little chin there, but we'll see. I'm going to put him down actually because he's, he's a little wiggle worm. All right. Where was I? Yes. So it seems like 365D and I seems like there's a bunch of vignettes, little little clips of life or something that are meant to have an effect. Like you get to see his wealth. You get to see how beautiful she is. You get to see how shitty, oop, how bad Laura's, Laura's boyfriend is. Different things like that. And it just doesn't feel like a cohesive story. And so it's not holding my attention very well. I don't really have a problem with... I've written dark erotica. I like dark erotica sometimes, but it doesn't feel like a complete story. It, It's just not my cup of tea. I think dark erotica can be interesting as a way to explore what thrills us, what our boundaries are. Um, but some people don't want to read it at all. Some people don't want dark, don't, don't want dark erotica to contain dubious consent or non-consent. Some people think that it's necessary in there. I just don't want the behavior in 365 DNI to be normalized in any way. I've seen a lot of women on Twitter and elsewhere say, you know, post gifts and say, me, when I realize I'm not going to be kidnapped by a gorgeous mafia boss like Massimo QQQ, you know, cry, cry, cry or whatever. I, I think that that's something to explore for you, something to think about, but I have to admit I am, I don't know, I'm not trying to sound like a prude. I write erotica and romance and explicit stuff and bloody battles where people get disemboweled and things like that. But I think that needs to be kept in a, in a certain perspective. And you think about, is this something I want normalized? Is this something that I want popularized? Uh, especially since there are still some countries in the world who see women as more of a piece of property as opposed to an individual being. And I worry about some of that being glamorized. Um, I worry about it being becoming permissible on some level. I don't have problems between, you know, consenting adults play acting. I don't have problems with reading something and thinking about, is this my cup of tea? Is this something that's exciting to me? We all have various things that we find thrilling. And if no one gets hurt, more power to you. And if it's between consenting adults, I think that's wonderful. If people understand what their sexuality is, who they are, what they want out of a relationship, what their limits are. I just, I'm just a little alarmed by the, there's no, no real story there. There's no, basically it's going to, I'm just going to buy you a bunch of real stuff. It's very, feels very shallow. And I don't know if that's just the movie or if it's the book uh, because the book apparently is not translated into English, so it's hard to know. It's not something you can read unless you know Polish, which I don't. It feels like if we're going to do this, if we're going to start having movies that uh, where that are for the for women, quote unquote, right? Because so often you see movies and the women are partly naked or completely naked, but the men aren't, right? So if you're going to see a movie where a woman is getting something that she wants or a woman is uh, being pampered or it's it's geared towards women, 
then I think that you need to think about a little bit more carefully what you want, what form you want that to take. I would want something like that, but I would want more of a story, right? And I alluded to in my first podcast, a book that I read that was very popular that I did not like, and I didn't name it, and I will name it now, it's Fifty Shades of Grey. And the reason I didn't like that book is kind of the same reason I was not thrilled with 365 DNI is because it felt very superficial. It didn't feel like there was anything there. Both of these stories seem like man with lots of money influences a woman, uh, impresses her with his power and his wealth and purchases and um, but otherwise is maybe not that redeeming although there were some attempts to make both characters redeeming in the in 50 shades of gray it was he has this horrible childhood that he's overcome so it sort of is meant to soften his hardness right and in 365 dni he's the mafia boss who's kind of put in a bad situation kind of went through this tragedy but he's doing this all out of obsessive love almost for laura right And he doesn't want to harm her. He just wants to show her that she should be in love with him, kind of. I just want, I would just like to think about a little bit more about how those things are presented and if that's what we want out of those movies. Is that what we're going to just constantly be satisfied with? Or is it something that's a little bit of a deeper story where it's not, how to put this, you know, I... It's this fine line. It's this really fine line. Because, like I said, I've written dark erotica, and I'm not trying to be a hypocrite or something. But I don't know. I I very much would like a story if it was done, a sexy story for women that had characters that were a little bit more interesting, that weren't so shallow, that weren't so superficial, that weren't so materialistic, that were more relatable. Because I can't relate. I can't relate to any of these characters. Uh, I can't relate to Anastasia because she doesn't know anything about computers despite having gone through college and having a degree and all this other stuff. She seems just woefully, woefully immature, alarmingly so, uh, for me anyway. Christian Grey, I didn't have maybe the best childhood, but I certainly didn't have the worst. And I don't understand what it's like to live in some rarefied world that that he does. And uh, there's so much there about control that I don't like uh, that makes me uncomfortable I don't think people should be controlling one another unless it's kind of in this consensual consensual relationship and at least initially in three in in um, 50 shades it's not she feels really uncomfortable and he just keeps pushing anyway so this is definitely not he's not a role model for me and in 365 DNI you've got a guy basically who's part of the mob you can gussy it up how much you want but it is still the mob and the mob has you know not done the best stuff generally uh i grew up in jersey city in new jersey and periodically you would see something on the front page of the daily news new york daily news you know someone was shot at a restaurant and they think it was a mob hit or something like that there's an attempt to make massimo's character noble and all of this and his family is somewhat noble but it 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 doesn't feel genuine it feels like it's contrived so 
I would not necessarily object to this. I mean, I loved the HBO series Rome. I thought it was really interesting and gritty and the characters, some of them were sympathetic and some of them were just absolutely loathsome. But there was this an very, very interesting and intricate story there, much more so than either of the two movies. So it's not that I, and there was nudity there. It's not that I am a prude, clearly, uh, or that I'm against it in its entirety. I just wish the representation is a bit was a bit better because I, I I feel like it's short shrift to the genre potentially and it also is a bit damaging or just taking women and their tastes and the potential for some of these stories for for granted but anyway little loquacious tonight some interruptions for Mimi Beams um I'm thinking about what I'm going to write, do for my next podcast. I'm probably going to review everything that I've done and see if there is anything uh, that I feel like I should uh, consolidate or add. Right by right, right now, I feel like you probably have a decent idea of what I think about as I'm considering a story and how to how I map it out in my brain and consider all the angles of it, the characters, the dialogue, how I'm going to start it, uh, the interactions that I'm going to have, how to plot it out. I don't plot it out. Um, But if you have any ideas or anything you want me to talk about or delve further into, I don't know if this is boring or interesting at all, um, please let me know. Remember, my email is podcast at hollyblackstone.com and I look forward to seeing you soon. I'm also on Twitter, don't forget, and I'll talk to you later.